Hi, I'm Paul Knapp. I'm the program director here at Storyline. It's good to be together. Thank you. Yes, appreciate that, Bancroft. Big fans for a long time they've been. Um, we are a captaining champion, sponsoring a hole at the Senior PGA Tour. This is the last year of the tour, at least that's what we know, uh, and that is in 2024. So if you're planning your calendar for a year from now, we're the church for you. So um, if you would like to be a part of that event, the Senior PGA, the last one here at Harbor Shores, at least for the time being, we'd love to have you join us. We're looking for 19 people um, over the course of five days to help make that hole happen. If you want to see Bernard Langer win his like 50th Champions Tour win at the Senior PGA, that'd be pretty fun. Um, that was a golf joke for those who watch golf. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thanks. You're going to get your bonus now for that one. Um, at the end of this month, we have a fifth Sunday, but uh, instead of impact, we are going to be having our baptism, brunch, and baby dedication. We will still be doing KPEP that morning. More details to come on that. But on July 31st, 30th, 31st, 30th, now you know, July 30th, it's the last Sunday of the month, we are going to be having our baptism brunch and baby dedication at Dave and Christy Stemmick's house. That is in Stevensville, Michigan on Windstone Drive. We'd love for you to bring a dish to pass to come celebrate with us. Again, that's Sunday, July 30th. We will not be meeting here. We will be meeting at our friend Dave and Christy Stemmick's. And then we are looking for some extra help in August for Kidport. Uh, we're not looking for formal volunteers. We're looking to give our traditional volunteers a break so that maybe you can, uh, so maybe you could step in and just help out for one week in the month of August. Um, that would be awesome. Um, without further ado, I'd like to introduce my friends Patrick and Angie Van Antwerp. Uh, we've been doing, uh, yeah, thank you. We've been doing a little, a little series um, over, the, over the course of the last few months of like why Storyline? Why do people come to Storyline? Why do people give their time, talent, and treasure to Storyline? So I invited Angie and Patrick to share a little bit about why Storyline. I'm Angie. Um, yeah, Paul asked me to share, so I was like, I'll write a novel and read it. Um, we came once, and there was a semi-curse word in a song, and I thought, who are these heathens? We are never coming back. Looking back, I totally missed the point behind the song and the choice of it, because I tend to get caught up in the rules and legalism that I miss the heart of something much like the Pharisees did in Jesus' time. Years later, after our oldest son died, it was too hard to go back to our church family every Sunday and sit in the pews that we had him dedicated in and where we sat when we closed his final chapter of life on his days here on earth. We came back to Storyline. It was dark. I didn't have to sing. I could get comfy and I could cry all I wanted. I didn't have this internal pressure feeling that I had to smile and act like everything was okay. I found it to be a place where I could hide out and have no expectations of me. It's what I needed at the time. I had a faith and firm foundation, but God had become real. My world was turned upside down. God no longer was reserved for Sunday, um, sitting up in this high place where everything was simple and made sense. Instead, he was holding me in the palm of his hand. This was messy, crazy, and in this beautiful world. Storyline for me is just real life. I've heard it been called a seeker church in a negative way. But to me, that's fine. God isn't something you just find and then have. It's something I have to seek after daily. 
Storyline challenges the way I think about God, relationships, and my life. It keeps me seeking and digging in. This fall, I started to volunteer with Grapple. Grapple are the middle schoolers of Storyline. They're the cool kids that sit right over there behind that curtain. They're there now. I'm not gonna lie, I just signed up out of guilt. I mean, they had talked about it on stage and I was like, ugh. But I already volunteered with Young Life and I thought, that's, that's enough. But eventually I think God spoke to me and I decided to volunteer. The first Sunday was a little chaotic. I definitely was not prepared. Middle school boys are way different than high school girls. But thankfully, they do tend to shower on Sunday mornings. <laughs> After a few lessons, I got things figured out. I knew how the lesson plans worked and I got to know the kids. And I really loved hanging out with them and the other leaders. We've got Oliver. He is the master at Zelda but he can also connect deep spiritual truths in the Bible, and it blows my mind. There's Eva. She is the sweetest and most patient human I have ever met. And then there's Connor. If you need someone on your trivia team, he is your kid. He will randomly pull out random facts from the Bible, and it's incredible. I know it sounds really cliche when people say that they're more blessed than the people they're serving, um, but it's totally true. I love spending time with my grapple friends on Sunday mornings. They are a little bit wild, but we do have a secret weapon. They get Red Coach donuts every week, and that keeps them in line. So if you're interested in serving um, either here or in Kidport or in any of the areas, we would love to talk to you about it, and I highly encourage you to take that first step. Good morning, my name is Patrick. I'm gonna echo what Angie said. When Connor was in the hospital, Mike came to visit. He shared words about God's grace that will always stay with me. And we would not have made it through the death of our son without a faith in God. We chose Storyline because Storyline met us where we were in our journey and provided the right environment for us to grow in our faith. When Storyline was still at Watermark, I felt the call to join and help. I filled out the Connect card that we hear about every week and said that I would like to help in the children's ministry. I'm a dad, so I thought I could handle a few more kids for a few more hours a month. The next week, Paul came to me and said, Patrick, I know that you think you want to help in Kidport. <laughs> but what you really meant is that you want to help in tech. Turns out, Paul knows me better than myself. And he was right. I did want to help in the tech booth. And I love being behind the scenes, helping to make Storyline run smoothly. In the tech booth, I have all the power to make Mike Gathright look really good, or slip in pictures of Paul Knapp, like this gem that Angie has awkwardly kept <laughs> in her nightstand for 12 years, waiting for the perfect blackmail moment. <laughs> Guys. I love serving at Storyline so that we can continue to be a family who meets people where they are. Thank you.
mostly use holidays so we can eat more. I normally don't have a burger, a brat, and a steak, but it is 4th of July. And uh, I need the energy if I'm going to start blowing crap up. That's what the founding fathers would want. <laughs> Good morning, Storyline. Uh, it's so good to be together. How about the band? Can we have a hand for them? So good. So, so good. So I hope that we've all recovered from the burgers and the brats and the explosions. I love the 4th of July, the food for sure. And even though I go to bed about the time we hand out the sparklers to the kids, my memory of the fireworks is that they're pretty cool too. Um, but this time of year always reminds me of freedom and a second very closely related topic of vacation, right? So our kids are now grown, but when they were little, uh, we would take them to my parents' place at Sandy Pines Campground. Wait, I mean resort, okay? <laughs> are there any Sandy Pines people out there at all? Okay, let me tell you. Yes, all right, yeah. Um, that is high-end vacationing, right? It's the Dutch Riviera, and um, it's... <laughs> It's only an hour and a half away. Now, of course, that didn't stop the backseat vacation refrain of, are we there yet? Like, all constantly, right? Pulling out of the driveway, are we there yet? But summertime, you gotta love it. Vacation and freedom. So as of uh, last week, on July 4th, the United States is now 247 years old. Now, that sounds so old, right? But only to Americans. When Lisa was playing uh, volleyball in Germany, she lived in a small college town of Tübingen. And a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful little town. And we toured the campus, and I came across the church that started the university, and it had a cornerstone on it, and it was, was inscribed with the year that that school opened, which was 1477. Now, to put that in perspective, when George Washington took the oath of office, Tübingen University was already 312 years old. So, America is getting older, but we aren't there yet, right? However, what we are founded on, the idea and the ideal of human freedom is as old as humanity itself. The quest for freedom has launched wars and rebellions and insurrections. It's motivated runaways, it's enchanted prisoners, and it's inspired vagabonds for millennia. In fact, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the, the famous French philosopher, writing right about the time America was founded, described the human condition like this. Man is born free, but everywhere he is in chains. Now, all of us long to be free. We see it in little children who don't get their way. We feel it from teenagers whose basic human rights are trampled on with things like chores and curfews, right? And guys, we experience when our wife, we experience this when our wife volunteers us to help move her friend out during the NBA finals, just to name a random example, okay? <laughs> just randomly thinking of that one. But here's the thing, political freedom is certainly one of the most precious things on earth. And yet, here's what we know. Those of us, everyone here, who are fortunate enough to enjoy political freedom, don't seem to long for freedom any less than those oppressed by tyrants. Because human freedom, as it turns out, is complicated. 
It's not as simple as the day-to-day like operational freedom or, you know, no one's telling me what to do or where to go. It doesn't take us long to figure out, in fact, as we grow up, that no one is really, truly free. Like, no matter how much money or how much power we have, or if we grow, when we, even when we grow up as children, you think about growing up to be an adult and I'm going to be free, but our freedom comes with incredible limitations. Like, for example, I'm free to eat broccoli. I'm not free to like the taste. I'm free to jump out of a window. I'm not free to fly. I'm not free to not grow old. I'm not free to live forever. In other words, freedom comes with severe limitations in the real world. So any discussion of freedom, like the one we're going to delve into this morning, is we are looking at like a truly mysterious realm of the human experience. And so uh, this is about way more than the 4th of July or vacation. The ideal of human freedom is about something beyond getting to do whatever we want. And so this morning, without pretending to take on all of that or the, the concept of freedom in its entirety, I'd like to invite us to consider maybe the way to think about it is some recurring themes around freedom and maybe how the life of faith in the grace of God could give us, I think, a deeper appreciation for and a clear expectation of the kind of freedom that we long for. Now, there is a story in the Bible um, that I think is probably the best story in human history that depicts freedom in all of its many facets, and that is the story of the Exodus. This is the story of the ancient Israelites' escape under the leadership of Moses from the enslavement of the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so I want to set the scene real quick, and then we'll look at a passage from the from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament of the Bible. The Israelites were this nomadic tribe of people uh, from the Middle East who ended up moving to Egypt for a time to escape a famine. Egypt um, had plenty of food, and so um, the Israelites go to Egypt. And over hundreds of years there, they flourished there until one day, one of the pharaohs kind of woke up and said, wow, there are a lot of Israelites here, maybe more of them than there is of us, and so too many to be guests And so he basically enslaved them. And and for centuries, the Israelites uh, waited. They prayed to their God. They they called out to their God um, and waited for him to set them free and to usher them into the promised land of freedom, like flowing with milk and honey. You know, the way we would put it is flowing with burgers and brats and fireworks, okay? So we're going to pick up the story right after Pharaoh has decided to let the Israelites go because Through Moses, God has brought these 10 plagues. Some of us are familiar with this story. He's brought these 10 plagues down on Egypt. The nation's devastated, and so they finally relent. They free the Israelite slaves, and it's here where I think we begin to see what the human heart really longs for when it comes to freedom, and we begin to see how complicated freedom is. So shortly after freeing the slaves, the Israelite slaves, Pharaoh changes his mind, And he actually sends his army uh, to chase after the Israelites and bring them back. And this is how the Bible describes the scene. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out 
of Egypt. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You see, the Israelites are a picture of us. They were in bondage, then they're set free, and then they realize something. Freedom isn't just a vacation. Like, we're being pursued by our past continually. In other words, freedom is complicated because slavery has layers. There are layers to slavery. It, it's much easier to take people out of slavery than it is to take the slavery out of people. And that reality right there, we see that repeated throughout the Bible. I think a sober look at human history, you see it in human history, and an honest look at ourselves, you probably see that in your own story. I know I see it in mine. So just like the Israelites, we can be politically free, like operationally free, but still very much a slave. Now, how is that? So there's a number of ways of getting at this, but I think one of the ways that we can see how is it that we can be free on a day-to-day -day basis, but still kind of a slave. And, and the Bible describes it like this, that we are made in the image of God, all of us. And what that means, that means a lot of different things, most of it which I don't get or even pretend to understand. But at least part of it means that we're all born with a deep desire to be perfect, or you might call it complete, or whole, or fulfilled, okay? Now, some of us overcome that desire to be perfect really early on, like my son with his room. He seemed to not care if that was anywhere approaching perfect or even safe, okay? Um, some of us struggle to live up to perfection our whole lives. My, my daughter, when it comes to her grades, like, you know, like it's gotta be perfect. Gotta get the straight A. Either way, whether we go, whether we reject perfection or we go for it. It will still always be the secret standard that we live by. The way the Bible puts it is that it's like this law in our hearts. So when we don't live up to that standard, okay, we fear that we're gonna live unfulfilled, that we're not whole, that we're broken. Another way that the Bible talks about it sometimes is we fear condemnation. It, it could be the condemnation from others, it could be the condemnation from God, ourselves, or some toxic mixture of all of the above, usually. But we, we fear not measuring up, essentially, is what it comes to. We fear not being blank enough. And you fill your blank in, and I fill mine in. Whatever it is, successful, rich, tall, whatever, okay? But the gospel of grace of Jesus changes all of that, that dynamic. It's all about our acceptance by God in spite of our imperfection. So in spite of the fact that we may have rejected the law, so because our room is messy, let's say that's you, or we've accepted the law but failed to live up to it because everyone gets an A- minus at some point, either way the Bible puts it is we all fall short of the glory of God. Theologians would say it this way, don't freak out, but they would say that we all live in a state of sin, a state of imperfection. 
of unwholeness or brokenness, if you will. And so the gospel of grace of Jesus is about freedom because it sets us free from condemnation, from not being blank enough by whatever standard you're holding out in front of you. And the gospel then is the invitation to live not by the law of what we've earned or what we've achieved, but by and through and with and for the grace of God, his love, forgiveness, acceptance, and affection. Apart from living by faith in the grace of God, in the freedom that Jesus died to give us, we can't live free from what we all know about ourselves and about our lives, that it should be whole, it should be complete, it should be perfect, but it isn't and we aren't. We fall short, we let people down, we fail, we flail, and there are real consequences for all of this. So refusing to trust in God's grace, it's, it's really, it's not unlike the Israelites, like recognizing that freedom isn't just a vacation, it's hard, it comes with responsibilities, our past is still pursuing us, and then deciding, you know what, it would've been better for us to just remain a slave back there in Egypt. So to turn our back on the life of faith in God's grace is like choosing to live in Egypt after the Pharaoh has said, you're free to go. All while freedom is just there for us. It's like hanging out there for us to walk into.
guys had your vitamins this morning. Jeez. So the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of grace, means that freedom does, it does hang like heaven over everyone. And anyone can have it if we'll just accept it. And it, here's the thing, though. It's true, like as in real freedom. And, and that means that this is what the Israelites were experiencing in the desert. You see, true freedom is complicated. It is layered. In other words, it's very possible to live under grace, to accept the grace of God, the acceptance of God. No longer like live in Egypt in this state of sin, but still be a slave to it. And this is the part that I think that generally speaking, people who talk about God don't often enough just get really real about enough. Like we can literally see this happening in the Bible. It's not the Bible's fault that, that we don't frame what the life of faith looks like very accurately. And it ends up turning a lot of people off when real life punches us in the face. So we can actually see this literally in the Bible that slavery has layers, that freedom is complicated, that you can accept the grace of God and still be, have some slavery in your life. So, um, and we can literally see this in the Exodus. So it might actually help to like look at the landscape of freedom, okay? Because there is a difference be between being set free and living free. It's so very important to understand that between what the Israelites were free from, which is the state of sin, the state of Egypt, okay, and what they were free for, which is the state of Israel or the promised land, there was a desert. There was a desert. Between slavery and freedom, between sin and the promise, there is always a desert. Again, this is not the Bible's fault that we don't frame it this way very often. That we look to the Bible like it's magic or faith like it's magic. Certainly not Jesus' fault either. Listen to how he put it. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market's flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though the crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Now I've seen very well-meaning people place their faith in God, but it's a faith that's not this ongoing, real, day-to-day, -day, like Angie and Patrick were talking about. It's not that day-to-day -day trust in God's goodness for us and to change us from the inside out, but it's almost like faith as magic, right? Believing that faith itself by having it or assenting to some formula about God is gonna be some kind of shortcut to wholeness, to freedom, to the promised land, and it isn't. We can become objectively free from the law, from the condemnation of God, but still a slave because the slavery is in us. We bring Egypt with us, and you see that in the Israelites in this story. And this is what God is ultimately trying to deliver us from. Thus, the desert, the journey to the promised land. It's a journey. Misunderstood as it often is, this reality of human freedom, that it has layers, the landscape of freedom, it can discredit the life of faith. 
and people walk away or people see it in other people and they go, I want no part of that. And I've heard this so many times. Mike, I gave my life to Jesus and I'm still tempted to do this. Or I give in and I fail all the time. Or Mike, so-and-so became a Christian and they're still a jerk, so this must not be real, okay? Uh, Every time another TV preacher fails, any time a community of faith mistreats us or does something culturally or politically that we don't agree with, the temptation to think, I knew it. This isn't real. It would have been better to just stay back and die in Egypt. This whole freedom, wholeness, flourishing, this thing, it's not real. What we're forgetting when we do that is exactly what it is we need to be free from. The life of faith isn't magic. It isn't just being set free from this state of sin in Egypt that makes us a slave. It is about primarily the slavery in us. The slavery we bring with us. So I wanna take a second to think about that, okay? I mean, we could talk about that for months. Like, what exactly is that? What is this slavishness that, is, that we take with us? And to go back to this image of God metaphor, I, I think at the heart of it, there's this desire to shrink back from the image of God that we are made in. God made us in his image, and what that means is we're not pets, we're people. We're not robots, we're children. And that means that he has made us with freedom and and to be co-creators with him, to enter into the creation business and make life happen. You know, and, and that comes with enormous responsibility, not just for our own life, but to life, capital L, to the world and everyone in it and to everyone we meet. And that comes with enormous risk, risk of failure, risk of not measuring up, risk of of not amounting to much, and so on and so on. And as uh, one of the best works on freedom, on human freedom, was written by a psychoanalyst. His name is Eric Fromm. And he wrote one of the best titles ever for a book, Escape from freedom. This is how he put it. Modern man is still anxious and tempted to surrender his freedom to dictators of all kinds or to lose it by transforming himself into a small cog in the machine. Well-fed, well-clothed, yet not a free man. There is a risk to freedom, a responsibility that comes with it. It is, as it turns out, not just instantaneous vacation. And we realize this only after being set free, after finding faith, after accepting our acceptance. Being set free doesn't magically deliver us into the promised land. This is not Star Trek, where we're transported to the promised land. What it does, the life of faith, is the starting line. It sets us off often into a desert. The beginning of living free is no vacation. Living free, truly accepting our acceptance, enjoying the grace of God, and taking on what we are free for, which is we're gonna talk about next Sunday, isn't a normal, natural, or easy way to live. 
It isn't. It's the best way to live, but it isn't as easy as just being a cog in the machine, like earning our way day to day, keeping our head down, well-fed, well-clothed, back in Egypt. This is why God in his mercy has made the life of faith a journey. It's a process. And this is why the path to the promise runs through a desert. Always. It's on this path that over and over again, as a real life comes to us, that we get to trust in God's goodness for us. And as we do, over time, we are being transformed slowly as we are working the slavery out of us. Like experiencing time and time again God's faithfulness to us. Getting us out of slavery is an event. Getting freedom into us is a process. It is a journey and the path to the promise runs through that desert and that's why. Do you see it? Do you see the, just the beauty and the brilliance and the genius of Jesus in the gospel of grace? It's, it's for real life. This isn't pretend, it's not a religious formula. It's like how can we really change? It's not instantaneous, it's not just add hot water, it's not like magically be transported from Star Trek to the promised land. It's like, how, do we, how are we really transformed? And that is what God is after. Nothing less than everything for us. One of my favorite movies of all times, and no, it's not The Lord of the Rings, although that is one of my favorite movies of all time, okay, is um, a film called The Mission. Uh, I know a few of you in here had me for world history way back when I taught it, and I used to show this film every semester in my world history class. It's set in colonial South America. Um, Robert De Niro plays a mercenary soldier who changes to become basically a slaver, a slave hunter. And so in the jungles of South America, um, he begins to hunt Native Americans and killing <laughs> just untold numbers along the way in order to capture as many as he could and to sell them into slavery. Uh, and his life, according to him, is going pretty well until he realizes that his brother is having an affair with his girlfriend. And in a fit of jealousy, he actually kills his own brother. De Niro plays this character named Rodrigo. So Rodrigo kills his own brother, brother and he is then plunged into his own kind of slavery of guilt and shame. So through a Jesuit priest, he finds faith in God and is technically, like theologically set free. God's forgiven him and he knows it, but he can't forgive himself. The slavery is in him. It's in him. And so in an effort to help him experience the grace of God, like live free, the priest dares him to bag up all of his weapons, all of the tools that he used to kill his own brother, destroy the lives of countless numbers of Native Americans, and now his own, and to drag them through the jungle to the tribe 
that he used to hunt and kill and capture. It is a super powerful film. I get choked up just watching that. Still scenes from it. Great, great scenery, unbelievable music. Highly recommend it. Do it today. The mission, so good. Do you know what, do you know what it's like to drag your past around like that? I do. Getting out of slavery can happen in an instant. Because of the cross of Christ, it's as easy as accepting our acceptance and cutting the rope that we've tied around ourselves. But slavery has layers, and getting, us out of, getting the slavery out of us, that's an entirely different deal. It requires our full intention and attention and commitment. There is no shortcut. The path 
to the promise runs through a desert or a jungle. This is what makes the life of faith a battle, a struggle. It is by faith in God's goodness for us that we resist the slavishness that comes from within us, the longing that we have to go back, to not rely on God's grace, but to rely on ourselves, to be like, maybe, maybe this time we can be enough. We can be enough, and, and, and if I can just do that, then I can just be, I, I'll be well-fed, I'll be well-clothed, I'll be a cog in a machine, I'll be respected, I'll be accepted, but we tell all these lies like, oh, been better back in Egypt. That struggle, in one way or another, will go on until the day we die. And communities of faith don't do anybody any favors by marketing the life of faith as anything other than what it so often is, which is a difficult process, a struggle to trust. It is a long desert path to the promise. It's the best way to live, but we aren't there yet. We aren't there yet. Last week, Jill spoke about the power of living together, that we are literally made at the subatomic level of connections, from connection, and for connections. And this is why belonging is so powerful in our lives. And it's one of the reasons that we emphasize community so much here at Storyline. You know, we have community groups and Bible studies and service teams and setup teams and impact events and hiking groups and discussion groups. Why? Because the only way that we have of getting through this desert path is together. We can know what we are free from, the condemnation of God, the condemnation of ourselves, we can know that this freedom from is difficult, like it, it's a path through a desert, which is why we're invited to walk it together as a tribe. And we're gonna take a, a more of a look at this next week, like I said, but we must have a reason beyond our own escape if we're going to make it. We have to have a reason beyond our own escape if we're going to stay on this path. This is what most people who hear the gospel and frankly most people who share the gospel completely overlook. That when things are hard, we're always going to long to go back to Egypt again. To get through, we need one another, we need a tribe, and we must have the pull of the promise, a vision for what we are free for. And a huge part of that is that along the way, on the desert path to the promise, we have room to grow, to make mistakes, to become ourselves.
was outside my window Ain't that the way the story Spent my teens making out in the stairwell Inside a church that went long cause the spirit fell I was really trying to mean something to someone But at the time I just thought that it was Thank you guys, it's beautiful. So that may be one of my favorite ways to describe a community of faith on the desert path of freedom together. A people in a place where we just, we have some room to be wrong sometimes. Doesn't that sound great? I need it. Because slavery has layers and freedom does too. It, it is a complicated thing, and it's no vacation. In fact, it's really a lot more like going on vacation. Think about it. When does vacation begin? Like when you get in the car and are set free, or when you arrive at your destination, like the promised land of Sandy Pines, <laughs> and you live free. Which is it? Well, I think the answer is both, right? Like vacation begins when we leave our old life behind, but the process, the path, the journey, the car ride is very much a part of it, an important, critical part of it all. And so it is with the life of faith and human freedom. And in the meantime, in this land, this land that we live in, the land between Egypt and Israel, that we call our home in our time. 
What makes this life beautiful is traveling the desert path to the promise together and once in a while reminding each other we have indeed been set free, but we aren't there yet. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place. We thank you for our country. And while we are grateful for our political freedom, we know that ultimately we long for a freedom from condemnation, from ourselves, really. And only you can free us from us. You have won our independence. And my hope and prayer this morning is that we would all accept this freedom from you and that we would start off on this path to the promise together. As we leave this morning, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. We'll see you next week.